yo 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 welcome back another beautiful episode of clear the haze beautiful episode on a beautiful day yes season four episode seven episode siete coming at you right now we are joined by an awesome guest today oh man we've just been lively talking to this guy yeah, since he arrived yeah we're honestly we we couldn't wait to get him on air so here we are Without any further ado, who do we have, Luigi? Pendesham on the show. Pendesham, welcome. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you. It's Producer, director, writer, as we just found out, motivational speaker coming up, perhaps, but, perhaps. But among encourager. Yeah, yeah, encourager. I like that. But I think amongst all things, creative. Mm. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're uh, you know, I, I, there's this guy called Sir Ken Robinson mm-hmm. who did the most watched TED talk which is how schools kill creativity. Yes. And what he did was he, and it's funny, it's really funny. Um, but what he did was he said, you have to find your tribe, which is to be with the people that do the thing that your body and mind is designed to do. Mm. Then you get to be comfortable and then you get to learn from each other. Mm. So that's why musicians hang together. That's why artists hang together. That's why nerds hang together. Yeah. But when you're processed and told that you must do something else, that's going to be the right thing to do. Your parents want to save you by making you become a business person. Right. Not your nature. It's destructive. So there's two or three times in my life when a single sentence of encouragement has changed me or given me the power to go forward. So I try to give that back because out of uncertainty, creativity comes from uncertainty. Mm -hmm. All these things you could be doing and your mind goes, Ooh, what would that, And, and it's the same part that is the anxious part of your mind. So the thing is to find something that empowers you to overcome the doubt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's somebody else. Do you have a moment that you remember distinctly? Oh, oh, very much so. Okay. Uh, It's several moments, but um, probably the most uh, uh, graphic was that uh, I had the privilege of having a son with my wife and watching what birth is and watching what it takes to raise a child. And I was in the world at that time when Stallone and Schwarzenegger were making films where human beings were target practice. Right. And you celebrated it. Right. And their deaths were spectacular. Yeah. And I'm looking at my child growing up in that world and I wanted to make a movie that said something differently. And the intuition was that I could use a Robin Hood. And that story is a mythical story as I grew up with to show maybe um, a very rich man making the choice to give up his arrogance to fight for the future of his peasants' children. And I also wanted to put a Muslim and a Christian side by side, learning from each other instead of trying to destroy each other. Mm. And I took that out to studios, three studios, major studios, and they said that was the stupidest idea they ever heard because everybody wanted to see people with guns, no one wanted to see people with swords. So they talked me out of it. (laughs) One of my partners also felt that putting an Arab into Robin Hood was a bit crazy. And so I wasn't really getting the feedback I wanted. Yeah. You thought these ideas were like on top of the world. You were like, yes, this is what I love. This is new. And our assistant said, you know, I think that's a really cool idea. If you start writing, I'll do my best to help you. Wow. And that gave me the courage to start writing blank page. Yeah. And as soon as I started writing, I hated what I was writing. I thought it was obvious and stupid. Yeah. yeah. And because you can't judge what you write. You don't know you have a voice. Right. Yeah. So what's obvious to me is not obvious to other people. Mm. And my partner who was quizzical about putting an Arab in Robin Hood started looking at it and going, Wow, I get it. Yeah. But he couldn't see what was in my head. He until didn't have your vision. No. And and that's not and then he became the biggest champion. And then we ended up collaborating on the movie and he wow. became the co-writer on the screenplay after wow. we, after I'd done my first draft. And so 
I love telling that story because a it was because somebody made the effort to to spark the embers that I was going to let die mm. and secondly because somebody who had a doubt saw the inspiration saw how to embrace it and became a fantastic champion yeah and we wouldn't have got the movie made without his incredible efforts i mean he moved into the offices of the place that was trying to finance the movie wow so he could every day <laughs> yeah. boost the film along <laughs> yeah yeah you know? no no kidding so um that 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 power of encouragement yeah uh is something i say to people it costs you nothing but it can be it can change lives yeah yeah i a hundred percent agree with that i i found myself so many times in my daily walk in in anything you'll run into somebody hey good morning how you you know stranger how's you how are you doing oh i'm i'm good oh, okay well i hope you have a pleasant day i hope it you know beautiful day out yeah. and then they just kind of smile and you're like at least that was a, a happy interaction where that person doesn't feel like well you put me right. down or that i i declined somewhere in the world but at least we're moving upward in some way, you it know? It seems minor, but it, it, internally it's massive. Exactly. Depending Exa on what it is. And that's know? the thing. And I feel like that's kind of what happened here. Where internally more than anything, you were like, there was a spark that was lit that you were like, this is possible. Mm -hmm. And I and I think that's so beautiful that that happened. That someone was like, dude, fuck what everybody else is saying. Like, if yeah. you want to make this thing happen, do it. Yeah. And, 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 and it was one that. of those things where it didn't seem logical. So also you're going against the wall. Mm -hmm. And so it needs that to push you through it. Yeah. Uh, what, what, what I also had was um, I made a drama after many years of making short films. And that was also a miserable experience. <laughs> I, uh, I wrote a half hour drama because a friend of mine phoned up and said, do you know the CBC's making one hour film, half hour films with new filmmakers and they've got $10,000 as a budget. Oh, wow. And because he phoned me yeah, and I literally before we, before I got out of this car, he had phoned me and we're still close friends because he phoned me. I applied to do my first drama mm. and I did it with an old documentary crew. I did wow. it with never having written a script before. I didn't even know how to format a script. Wow. Yeah. They didn't even worry about the format. I wrote something that was about a horse uh, owned by a very poor trainer who was in breech birth with a foal. And the, the vet is somebody he's never met before. It's a woman. And he has 20 minutes to turn the mare, turn the foal inside the mare or decide which animal he must save. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. And um, I, we'd made a number of films on thoroughbred horse racing because it's so beautiful. And so the, the animals are so extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and ended up that it won 14 awards wow and the uh the upshot was that norman jewison offered me pro bono to come to hollywood wow and mentor me wow. so from that guy's phone call again yeah making the effort just to phone did you know hmm. my life changed wow and um my 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 we had by that time had a company with staff and we'd had 10 years uh in in toronto so it was scary to come to Hollywood and look at giving that up and leaving relatives behind. But at the same time, Norman was this enormous figure and this, the gratitude I have to him for reaching out yeah. to some stranger, <laughs> some guys never met because he thinks his film's cool and saying, come on board. Yeah. Again, that, 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 that's why I try and give back. Mm. I, I, I think I, I latched onto the idea that you mentioned at the very beginning of the tribe. Yes. You know, because personally, when I was in high school and I was doing theater, it was funny because my junior year, we uh, we had a good group of people, good uh, ensemble. And I remember I don't remember who it was, but we had said, this is our tribe. This is our theater tribe. 
And I stuck with that so much because the way you mention it in um, a creative success, success manual, uh, which is a fantastic read, um, you talk about that. And, 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 I, and I love that. When I read that, I was like, that's so cool that he kind of has that similar thinking that there are certain people in this world who you will meet and you're just connecting on such a deeper level that you're like, there has to be a reason we met. There has to be a mm -hmm. reason why we were placed on this earth and why we're sitting or, or talking to each other whatever right just but it's kindred like, spirits kindred, exactly yeah. it, it like goes deeper than just skin and bones and blood you know it's like there's a spiritual connection sometimes that i i, I feel like more and more people are uh, waking up to that idea that oh wow there there is a spiritual sense to living on earth right but the fact that you found that in in those people and then and then that dude was willing to call you and say hey come to hollywood like i'm gonna take a chance on you you know and it's like People dream of those moments. Felt your you energy. Know? I take it very seriously that I was gifted with something, and that's why I try and give yeah. it back. Yeah. And 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 I also feel human. You know what? I, the 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 thing that I'm most appreciative of is um, I have an intense curiosity and I have permission to pursue it. And so I look at life and what is who are we? What is an audience? Why do we want to watch a movie? What is it? What does the act of sitting in an audience mean? Yeah. And most of the time, they're teaching. Mm. They're teaching opportunity or they're teaching how to find a, a mate that you can live with and has uh, the courage to, to, to stay with you or the, you're standing up against a villain and you're doing that on behalf of your tribe. Yeah. So literally I see human beings um, learning from movies and I see their purpose being that they must have some kind of message in them if possible. Not everything. I, mean, I don't think comedies necessarily. Or, but um, for me they should because I think that there's a... A deeper purpose to making a film if you do it yeah. and it helps you if you believe that your movie has a message in it to go take some of the hardships and to go take some of the failures and then say well I still believe in it so what did I do wrong right what can I do to try and change it so that they see what I see in it and why I'm impassioned by it yeah mm -hmm. um, and the other thing I've, I've, I've really loved is just discovering that the evolutionary psychological analysis human beings is we are moral mm. right. that over over all these millions of years of living as a communal creature the act of being moral is selfishly valuable because yeah. it means that if i treat you well you'll treat me well and our children will get into the future right yeah. and the the outliers the criminals or the people who are demented or you know they're still they're always going to be there yeah and it takes a while for people to rise up against them especially if they're fairly powerful and bombastic. Right. But if we watch L.A. Law, for, uh, uh, Law and Order, yeah. uh, what we see is someone does something that tears the fabric of society. Mm -hmm. A group of people all, all take the time and effort to figure out how it was torn, who did it, and to sew it back up again. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's really what's happening in, in a lot of stories. Is yeah. they, they go to the, the heart of the community and the people that we are as human beings and the values that we have. And I see religions... The Ten Commandments or whatever are following the things that are the basic moralities that, that are endemic in all good human beings and the majority are yeah most human beings are good I, I think yeah. so I, I I personally think that like I know that there's always the question of like I think I asked him a couple episodes back which is like do you think that the world is rooted in good or evil um, and personally, I think that deep down, everybody has the ability to do good. Everybody has that, like you have a choice in everything that you do and, and choosing to be that positive light instead of deciding to be negative or deciding to be rude or ugly or mean, whatever word you want to place on it. 
is always 10 times better than going down that mm. wrong route. Well, you know? a, there's a thing that I get utter joy from, and I've seen two different demonstrations of it, is watching a documentary recently on children. And um, they took a six-month-old baby and showed three puppets. And one puppet was helping another puppet, another puppet was preventing the other puppet from being helped. And the puppet that was the helping puppet was the puppet the six-month-old wanted to play with. Wow. And then they did, I've seen the same thing a long time ago on documentary where there was a four-year-old and and that same sort of process. And children want to play with the altruistic helping character. So that sort of means that a a sense of values Mm. is endemic to who we are as creatures. Yeah. But as children... But it's, once it's you built in. once you uh, become an adult, do you believe that you retain that same sort of? I think most people do, mm. but I do think there are people that look for. I also think there are people that are damaged. Yeah. yeah. So, but there's no perfect people. So yeah. some people will be more on the spectrum of more helpful. Right. And and some people will be damaged, and they'll be selfish and arrogant and yeah. bullying because bullying works. I got to tell you, it's a sad thing. Yeah. You scream at people, they do what you want. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, fear is a very strong component. And, and, and it's yeah. the alpha ape. It's, I mean, it's, it's like a, a creature of dominance. The others will always bond around them. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in bad times, you know, a really bad alpha ape can get a lot of support. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what we're what, by telling stories and showing people struggling uh, to overcome. Uh, bad things or bad people or you know whether it's jaws you're overcoming a shark or whether it's a a villain or whether it's overcoming an adversity or finding your loved one yeah. i always say no one would remember goliath no one would remember david if goliath was five foot six yeah, yeah. so, so, <laughs> yeah. so when, when we're creating characters the more the obstacles that we create for our heroes yeah. Uh, the better the lessons that we demonstrate yeah. of the little guy being able to, do, to find the courage to overcome the difficulties. Yeah. So. And, and I think also you create so much more interest in, that, in those stories, you know, because people can overcome small obstacles. But as soon as there's something bigger in place that is almost uh, existential or even, you know, more dramatic or drastic, whatever, is there's there's some sort of higher value to that and i think as human beings when we watch film or we watch tv we want that highest value we, we um, buy into good oh yeah, exactly but we, we buy <laughs> tomorrow the, the the dilemma for me is that um i think the studios are on a path with their marvel comic kind of movies where the heroes don't actually have dilemmas yeah mm. and they're not really learning and strategizing how to overcome self-doubt or how to overcome selfishness or how to overcome uh, a sense of incompleteness and have to train themselves to be able to take on other oppositions. Yeah. Right. They just are good. Yeah, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and that you don't learn from. And so you don't actually, I think, invest as much in the journey of the character. Yeah. And then, and then you end up having to make the film so spectacular. Mm-hmm. It's like thrill rides at the, yeah. you know, Disneyland. Yeah. They have to be so freaking great yeah. because the emotions are not as deep and resonant. And I think that, that my, my feeling is emotions can win out over money if you're writing a screenplay yeah yeah if you you can have a screenplay that takes place in a room which we've seen yeah the room and, <laughs> and it it is so freaking powerful because the dilemma yeah of a mother trying to protect her child yeah is so awesomely emotional yeah compared with batman who you know at least has the thing that he's seen his parents being killed and mm-hmm. yeah and, and, and wants to try and keep the world good yeah, you know, that's why she won that Oscar. Yeah. So, 
Yeah. Brie Larson. Yeah. yeah, no, that that movie is one that Top I notch. like. I I watched that movie for the first time. I think like last year, and I was and, and it was funny because so many people would tell you like, oh, you got to check this out. And then when I finally watched it, I was like, this was spectacular. Yeah, like you you were captivated by that whole story. There was not a moment that you you wanted to turn away because you were like, is she gonna make it? Is the son gonna make it? What's yeah. gonna happen next? I watched you know? that movie in the hospital. Oh, really? and for an hour and a half, yeah. I was not in any pain. I was just totally just fixed on what was happening in the story and that's how strong story is in general and speaking of story you're i'm looking at your your producer credits here and your career is phenomenal it's five plus decades and you have some really awesome titles in here you have robin hood space rangers tank girl all kinds of movies magnificent seven backdraft poltergeist the Twilight Zone series, so and then more recently Harriet, so uh, which I just watched by the way, yeah, I, yeah. I I enjoyed it, I really did. Um, but out of all of those titles, out of everything you've done, which do you think is your favorite? Oh, well, without a doubt, I think it's a movie called Mul Flanders, which okay. is with Robin Wright and Morgan Freeman. Uh, after Robin Hood, I knew I was going to write a story that's going to have a historical woman in it. Not yeah. hysterical, but historical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, for two years, I carried this around like a gut. In uh, It was in my gut. Yeah. I, it's like a story sausage, and I saw the gut's instinct. And I, I love to share these things because I want to show how incoherent creativity is. Mm-hmm. You know, people teach you by putting up a book that says you have to write these things, you have to do an outline, you have to... No freaking way. Yeah. It, it's... If something wants to come out of you, it's like a well coming out of your yeah. soul. So I couldn't find the story. I looked at Molly Malone, who's a British character, Nell Gwynn, who's a British character. Nothing happened. And then I was listening to an NPR uh, broadcast about an orphans and foundlings home where they were showing the, there was a museum where they showed the things that women had left for the children, including letters that they wrote that 100 years ago to go with their babies. And I thought, what does a, what does a mother write to a child mm-hmm. that you may never see again. And it suddenly well, made me write these lines of dialogue, which is sort of like, what say you child now that you've heard your mother's story? And a little girl who's five or six years old, who's an absolute waif that's come from an orphanage says, you could throw me out without a crust to eat before I deny that woman is worthy of my love. Mm-hmm. And then the woman says, prepare yourself child, for I am that woman, I am your mother. Wow. And I had to write the movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I knew at the beginning, I thought it was a movie about a woman having a letter read to her daughter with all her imperfections and all of the unvarnished truths of what she was and why she managed to screw up so much her daughter was put in an orphanage. And if the daughter accepted her after that, then it was not she was not tricked into loving her. Yeah. And that seemed to be the most important thing. And I think it came out of my soul because I lost my mother when I was eight, mm-hmm. along with my sister and my brother losing the same mother. But, you know, that sounds selfish when you say, I, I lost my mother. Right. But, no, but it, it, okay. it frames a lot of things and I've actually ended up writing the script that became Mull Flanders in a powerful surge of creative frenzy um, that was so sensual. I've never experienced it. Wow. Um, I was writing it in my spare time, yeah. uh, in bed next to my wife. Wow. Um, I did not tell my partners who were males that I was writing a woman's story because I was worried they would laugh me out of it, mm. which has happened on other occasions when people are trying to help you. Oh, that's never going to sell you. Right. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 exactly. Um, so I learned not to share things too easily. And I only my assistant knew, and she was a woman who'd written a thesis on Shiro's at Brown. And she uh, and I uh, 
she would she was my encourager mm. and um it ended up getting made i'm on the set and my partner john says to me how come none of your characters have mothers and i go wang stick my forehead to my fist and yeah. i go oh my god you know and robin hood doesn't have a mother i did a movie with houdini who was a man who lost his mother and then went to seances to try and find her yeah again. Wow. i went to, you know through this whole process of making a movie about a child who is lost by his her mother and is reunited and you you cry with joy when they come back together and i realized that these things are very pure mm -hmm. and if you can write from that place and trust it that you will write things that are significant and have a voice and i say write dangerously um so my advice to writers is obviously if you you really must write a horror movie because you think that's going to sell you better f sell you better put every ounce of your passion and energy into it and not make a bad clone mm, of yeah. what a horror movie is because there are guys out there that love them treasure them and write them with such intricacy and right. darkness that they're, they're they're wondrous yeah like grand granol fairy tales mm. yeah but if you're really writing in your voice and you're writing from this passion place you don't quit on it yeah mm. and everything you do in it because when i was writing mall flanders i could see other stories spiraling through my head that I had worked on. And that's why I say nothing's lost. Right. Suddenly a little puzzle piece snaps in that was from some script I'd written and never got made. Yeah. But that little character moment, so it was awesome. Mm. And that's what I want to share with people is not saying you have to do it my way, yeah. but can you find it your way? But if I can write a script from four lines of dialogue at the end, uh, and I find frequently I've written because I had endings that were so personal and imaginative to me that I had to pursue them. Yeah. Um, so inaccuracy, making mistakes, imperfection, self-doubt, these are all normal parts of writing. Mm. And, I, and I think if you read a book and it tells you how to write, use it as a checklist at the end of the process. I say that the first draft is the Lewis and Clark. Any fucking way to the coast is legitimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You're absolutely right. And <laughs> how can you know what you're not going to know until you've discovered it? Right. Exactly. Sometimes and it's about putting words on paper. Yeah, and, and, and let it... And, and and trust that it will come out of you yeah. and trust that uh, you can leave spaces uh, we used a lot of terminology as we worked over the years we called it islands of sanity mm. we might get five great story beats and not know what's in between right but we trust that those things would come through dialogue and exploration yeah and um, so I always say the first draft is the discovery for yourself mm -hmm. to find out what it is that your body needed to write Mm. and you must celebrate it you mustn't look at it and say oh well it's got all these problems to be no that's a massive achievement to get something out of you mm. and and that uh it's individualistic and it's part of your nature and it's something that um you've got to give uh yourself credit for because then you face the next one with that anticipation of that self-satisfaction again yeah next draft you do through is what i call put the freeway through because mm -hmm. now that you've seen where you're going you know what you need and what you don't need mm. yeah and that's a really easy draft compared with the yeah. going into blind <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly and then the third draft is you put the signposts up because mm. then you've shared it with people and i i say it's vital never to share something early with people who won't understand yeah and don't don't share it with people who protest they will understand if you know in your gut they're not ready. Yeah. There are there are people that you can trust. I call them story midwives. Okay. And they're people who you know have the same soul as you do, your your tribe. Yeah. Yes. And you know that they're not gonna be giving you aggressive 
notes what they're really trying to do is help you push through the pain of giving birth mm. without telling you what sex the child must be yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. and like then that. when you've done that when you've tested it yeah. when you're very sure and we call it asshole proofing we make sure that all the story points make sense for the least um careful reader yeah and and because you only get one shot with the script and people go home on a on a weekend forced to take their lives out of their family, out of the things they'd like to do and read a script. So I say scripts are the enemy of the reader. <laughs> and so you asshole-proof it. So they pick it up, they understand it, all the points you want to make are there, and they see fully realized the vision that you have. And that's the shot you want. Yeah. Mm. I, I've personally, in my own experience with screenwriting, um, I've had that happen to where I remember when, when I first, I think maybe even a year ago, I would... I, I sent people scripts and I was like, they, they would just respond with like one word or, you know, a couple sentences, nothing major, no notes. And you were almost like, this didn't help me. You know, you just kind of, you were almost just someone who read it, but you didn't actually know what the story was to take it somewhere else. Right. So you're absolutely right. You have to choose certain people. Like, that's why I, I like me and my writing partner, Cameron he's the perfect backboard to me yeah. because it's like, I'll throw out an idea and he'll be like, well, does this make sense to this? He'll throw out an idea and I'll be like, well, how, where could that fit? You know? And my favorite part about screenwriting is honestly the debating, debating why you, you believe that this element that you just came up with belongs in that story. Why does it make sense? How, how does this interaction with this character or this dialogue add to that major theme that you're trying to discover, right? By the end of the film, what do you want people to get out of it? How does every single moment add to that? Wow, and, writing with a partner. Well, writing with a partner, singular writing, either, it, you yeah, know. I mean, there's no wrong way to write. So yeah. I've written every way you can with a partner, with an assistant on my own. Um, and uh, with, with me writing a draft, then giving it to my partner. Mm -hmm. um, and e each of those seems to be like textures. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, there's not necessarily a right way of doing it. Uh, I, I, I liken us to the weather. You know, sometimes we're cloudy, sometimes we're sunny, sometimes we're rainy. Yeah. And, and each of those can produce different results in what we wear in order to go through the weather. And so yeah. if you're feeling really that you're in freezing cold, cloudy weather, maybe that's not the day you make a cold call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, whereas you're in sunny and bright and you're feeling really on your game, you make your cold call. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, we evolved techniques for... Uh, inside our company because we, we again like we're, we were always trying to sell things that didn't exist yet right. um, and we learned when we came when Norman Jewison brought me here uh, I ended up making friends with Stallone who was on the set of Fist and no one he was just that, at that moment peaking on Rocky and um, he looked at me as being someone who was non-Hollywood Mm. and somebody he could sort of like relate to yeah. and we sh I showed him some of the films we made in Canada and um, and then we were able to get his permission and Norman Jewison's permission so and I managed to fund a movie about the making of the movie so it brought my partner in and then we were asked by Stallone to help contribute to some of his films like Rocky II and Victory and Paradise Alley and wow um, which again was great because we started to see that as that old truth is nobody knows anything um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, you know it, it's like uh, you know Stallone is, no, a, is, a, is a is a is a natural genius for writing he writes yeah. organically very cool characters um, but we also saw that in Hollywood uh, people were given roles that you know a, a an ex-agent could be given a script by their agency and he could go into the studio and give it to him call himself a producer 
mm-hmm. and never actually picked up a camera, never actually, mm-hmm. you know, done a budget. Right. And, and so there was no mystery to that. Um, so we went and took the people to lunch who did the studio analysis of the screenings mm-hmm. and asked the one question I thought was obvious was what works? Mm. And they said, new, interesting, and different. You take a familiar story, make it new, interesting, and different, mm-hmm. the audience will go to it. They don't want to see the same thing every week. No. The reason we wrap gifts up in packages is with, with paper is the surprise and the novelty. Yeah. Right. Then it's gloves. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like socks oh. or something. Yeah, yeah. I was so, so excited. <laughs> but they said, nobody knows how to sell it. Yeah. yeah. So then I learned that, you know, one of the, one of the things in this business is trying to do the selling thinking for your buyer as well as the writing thinking. Because yeah. if you can build a bridge backwards to these people that demonstrates your work in terms of something that would make them look good, yeah. they're gonna go with it. Yeah. Um, and if you want me, I can give you my four steps of pitching. Please um, do. Please do. Yes. They're, they're, they're elemental, but this is the, the in, in teaching a couple of times at USC, I focused on I was very disappointed they were teaching people an elevator pitch. Because if I got in an elevator with somebody I wanted, the last thing I'm going to do is try and ram a story up there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but you've got three or four minutes. What is it that you, you do? You try and become a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say, could I get some advice from you? I really admire you. You're, you're somebody I understand. Uh, I, I think the things you did in this business are awesome. And if I could have five minutes of your life just to learn from you, it would be fantastic. That's an elevator pitch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll and give you those five minutes right now. Yeah. I'm already like Literally, interested. Yeah, you know? like I'm you like, stroke yeah. the so, ego. So not, no, because he. But but it is stroking the ego. But it's acknowledging yeah. that someone has achievements and yes. that you understand Talent. those achievements. Right. So yeah. I'm not wasting my time talking to I'm you. I'm not just trying to get something out of you. Yeah. I'm no. genuine, genuinely interested in yeah. and, figuring and, out. And so and learning too. Yes. So I, I I I made pitching come down to these four sections. First is research your buyer okay. and find truthful things that you feel are valuable that you can say back to that person so that they know that you care about what they've accomplished Mm -hmm. and that creates rapport and i say you cannot sell to a stranger Mm -mm. right so the first thing you've got to do is do your homework find out why that person is the kind of person who should receive the story you've got and then you when you meet with them there's a, a, a a truthfulness and then the second thing I say is demonstrate passion. If you didn't care about it, you say, well, you know, you're going to meet with somebody and you say, you know, I hear horror movies are selling, so I decided to write one. <laughs> That's like, not okay. going to get around <laughs> Yeah. But, it, and, but if you said, you know, I, I, I lost my mother when I was very young and I've written yeah. this story about a woman who loses her child and it's the most important thing in my life, mm-hmm. there's wow. a chance they'll read it. Yeah. And so I came up with this um, not truthful but useful analogy which is again keeping things simple I, in order to demonstrate passion as an example I would say my wife had a dream that was keeping her up at night and then finally she shared it with me and Jesus it made me stay up at night yeah. and so I decided to try and turn it into a movie and what I've done is the, the person you're meeting with in a pitch it's a conversation it's a chance to see, like we're having here. Yeah. Who is mm-hmm. this guy? Is he safe? Is he all right? If I put my invest my career, um, and my boss is going to see this guy, can I be sure that he's going to keep fighting for what we care about? And am I, yeah. is he going to be flexible? So a pitch is really an opportunity to people to learn about you and to see if you're compatible. Got it. The second thing about that, using an analogy, is that passion makes them feel wow, they got him wound up. 
he's probably going to stay wound up and he's going to do a really good job. Mm. Secondly, it probably will make other people wound up because passion is pretty rare. Yeah. yeah. So the thing I then do is I, I say, and it's really important to do it in these steps, create an authentic relationship with your buyer, demonstrate your passion. And then I say, put up the goalpost. And the goalpost is do the homework of telling them why the movie will succeed, but do it in the most simple terms. Find two films that are truthfully and valuably like the film you're trying to sell, not clones of it, because no one wants to go and do the same thing again because right. it just uses up the zero energy. There's excitement in discovery, but no excitement in doing another Robin Hood. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what I say to people is the story I'm going to pitch you is sort of halfway between the alien and the exorcist. Okay. And what I've done is I just put up two major goalposts. Yeah. Yeah. There's no studio executive that hasn't heard of them. Yeah, and yeah, there's yeah. nobody that wouldn't actually like to be associated with the successes that they represented. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I pitch my story. And my story is that NASA has come and found a defrocked out alcoholic priest. And they've taken him to the moon because they found the devil's bones up there and people are being possessed. What wow. the heck? <laughs> and I wow. could sell that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. But what I've done is I've sold you through the steps yeah. Yeah. of taking the journey with the buyer through the decision making. Mm. And what I also know is that they're spending that day, their car's getting uh, repaired, they've got to go pick it up, they're trying to get out of the meeting, they've got a boss screaming at them that they've got a problem with this agent and this closing this deal, and you're walking in with your dream. And so mm. if you don't do the homework for them, and if, they, if they're gonna to talk to their boss, what are they going to say? We well, say, well, this guy's got some. It's sort of like the the, the aliens meets yeah. the Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not going to say, well, I, you know, he's. It's like it's another horror movie. Yeah, right. but it's not much difference. No, no, but it does it's make just a it's a quality horror movie. Right. Yeah, and it's so being ex- very specific about what it is that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and doing that homework of defining the goal is one of the hardest things for me when I have scripts that I'm passionate about. Is finding that truthful illustration that gestalt's in the head of the buyer so they look at it and they go i get it and that 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 can take some time and it's like that sounds easy yeah but sometimes simple isn't easy mm. when you look at a finished movie it looks like you could just do that over the weekend right, <laughs> right. And that's, but, but getting it to that simplicity yeah. um I, I you know that that can be overwhelming until it makes sense and you were saying about your you're writing something with your partner to make sense. Yeah. Well, making sense is actually hard. Yeah. It, it, I, I find myself in my own creative process, nine times out of ten, I'm looking at it from so many different perspectives outside of my own. Yep. I have to look at it from the the audience perspective who's going to go watch the film, obviously, but also, like you're saying, the person who's going who's gonna to buy it, who's going to make it, right? Are these people going to be interested in, in these characters, in, in this scene that I'm, that I'm writing right now? Are they going to watch this, read this, and go, that deserves to be in this film, right? That deserves to be told. That deserves to be seen on the big screen. And I, I feel like as, as, a, as a creative, that's always something that I, I love, that I'm able to tap into that and, and tap into. Because for me, one of the reasons I love the podcast is you have we, we interview a lot of guests and we'll talk to so many people. You're, you're enriching yourself with their yeah. perspective. Yeah. And that only helps you be a better creative and be a better person in, in your own life, whatever it is you're doing. But personally, I take all that stuff in just as experienced so I can put it into storytelling. Well, you're using one of the models I say, when people say, how do I get into the business? Say, well, have you ever thought of interviewing somebody? Because people will be interviewed 
by people who that they trust to have some kind of understanding of who they are. Yeah. Right. And then you're exposed to their positions. And then you also have an opportunity to go back and phone them up and say, by the way, do you have any advice for this project I'm trying to sell? So um, a lot of the time, it's actually a really valuable thing to try and overcome ways of meeting people in our business. The objectivity of, the, of this business also is that frequently depress ourselves because we think the the criticism of our work is it's being rejected. Mm -hmm. The dilemma is there are thousands and thousands and thousands of scripts out there, and I liken them to sperm. They're all swimming towards the egg of production, and we're not, we're not able to quantify what the competition is like. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't know how hard it is, and when you look at the, I, I get to vote on the Oscars, and so there's only 300 maximum films that are qualified at the end of the year, by being run in the theaters that require it to in order to qualify and that means that out of all those thousands and thousands and thousands yeah. the, the, the individual films that got made were quite few so you're taking on an enormous challenge which also means everything you do must be for another purpose yeah which is to grow yourself as an artist mm. and to put your own passions out there no matter what because that never is a loss yeah. and if you chase something that's not your taste and you're doing something which which can be legitimate if you need to earn money do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, it. It'll give you longitude so you can stay in the game. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing it when you could choose to do something a little scary and do something creative that's from your soul, I would always say do that because you don't give up on it. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to know what, I know we asked you what your favorite project was, yep. but what was the hardest to make? Like that, that either took the longest or was just a struggle to get it from print to, you know, this the just kind of opposition yeah. left and right wow um, or it was just stressful and, and you know you were just filled with anxiety about it um, so what's the next one uh, <laughs> <laughs> no 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 that's, that's absolutely true as well uh, you know because I'm I, I, I've been working on one project since 1988 yeah, wow and it and it took uh, and it and it, I had this vision that I wanted to make a film about a uh, a, a white character who was a detective mm. who had a deep tragedy in his past who was teamed up with a Navajo investigator and wow. learns some of the philosophies of the Navajo which right. have a different perspective on life which is a very useful and very a, 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 a very uh, ecological and very philosophically deep mm -hmm. and also some very strange things mm. um, and way back then when I was starting to work with it my writing assistant at that point was Jay Roach and uh, we used to communicate about uh, Joseph Campbell. Jay taught me who Joseph Campbell was. And uh, he was a giant encourager. And we heard, oh, don't bother. There's a film coming out. Jay, John Fusco's gonna, has written this great script called Thunderheart. It's getting made with Robert De Niro. You're wasting your time, guys. And I let them talk me out of it. Mm. And Thunderheart didn't get made for four more years, and it didn't have Robert De Niro. Oh, wow. And I learned again that this system that seems very truthful isn't necessarily able to navigate through all of the things. And it's an obstacle course. Yeah. Yeah. And so John and I were working on Robin Hood. And I had hated myself for giving up on this other project. Really felt like I was failing my creative juices in a way that might be destructive to me ever having them. Mm. And um, we got to the end of... Uh, I gave him the draft that I had... He was getting through making modifications and great changes and adaptions to it and lovely character things. 
and we, I remember it was over Christmas and I guess he's like 80 pages in and we hear there's a Robin Hood it's being greenlit John McTinnon the guy that did Die Hard's going to direct it oh, and wow. it's at Fox and it's financed and wow. John said uh, you know let's not bother let's yeah. give up now I couldn't because I, I knew if I gave up again yeah. I was just telling my body give up fucking dead you, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah that's it so I don't think he was pleased with me but I said you got to finish this and we did finish it not thinking there was a market yeah. it was really just to complete it mm. and then we shared it and people responded in ways that we were stunned wow mm. that's always a good feeling too, oh it was it? an amazing feeling are you yeah. kidding <laughs> like, that, you know you look at it and you're getting people going wow this is really cool and you go yeah but it's just a, you know yeah. well we did that you know it's like yeah so um and then we had a battle we ended up with Four Robin Hoods. Wow. The, from the, the studios all turning me down to yeah. suddenly there are four all competing. Wow. And, and that's what makes John, uh, my partner, so cool because he moved into the offices of Morgan Creek, which they were wel welcoming him. And we then worked on trying to get Kevin Costner to star in it. And we had a relationship with Kevin. We met him uh, through, you know, on social occasions. And, um, and his ex agent, gave him the screenplay because she thought it was so good yeah. uh, even though she wasn't representing him and um, it turned out through a lot of again obstacles and struggle we ended up getting the movie made wow. uh, but that and then I'm left with well, I never got to write my Native American themed uh, piece and I yearned to write it yeah. and I, I passed on when I was ripe when that when that bubble was ready to go mm -hmm. and I would terrify my assistants. I wrote 600 pages of notes in search of the story I yearned to tell. Wow. Wow. I researched Native American. I researched Navajo. I looked at how, how, how could I, I just wanted the trigger to yeah. start it again. Yeah. And um, finally, I, I honestly terrified my assistants because I would card out. 600 pages of notes and walk around the walls when they were on the walls trying to find the, this course through it yeah and um i had this intuition to talk to a woman who was an executive at one of the uh the star the stars uh, production companies i'll leave the nameless and i met her at jim hansen's company by accident and my gut said she's gonna think you're hitting on her but my gut said you have to talk to this woman yeah and i had this story where i had worked out a third of the story perfectly and had 18 to 20 pages of brilliant and couldn't get beyond it and I knew my goals I knew my my islands of sanity points but yeah. I couldn't tie it together and I asked her if I could take it to lunch and she said yes and it turns out she came from Albuquerque which I didn't know but I did know she'd written a book on spiritual mentors that were like priests and Sufi clerics and shaman and I just my gut had told me I had to talk to her and I did, and she, I told her what my story was and my pitch and the piece that I had missing. She said, why not make your female tribal police officer a witch? Mm. And that terminology to me didn't mean witch, it meant healer. Right. And okay. originally I was just looking at the woman as being a, a device to deliver my uh, damaged white detective to a shaman uncle of hers right. so he could get to learn about. And I realized, no, she's the person that he's going to learn from. Yeah. Mm. And I instantly gestalted the entire movie. Wow. I could just go away and write it. In three yeah. weeks, I'd written my script that I couldn't write. Wow. wow. And I'm still trying to get it made. Yeah. Um, 
it utterly impassions me. I tingle when I work on it. Yeah. The story structure is that the man and the woman are equal. They both dislike themselves for certain things that are unfair, that they didn't earn, but they make them feel incomplete as human beings. Mm. They're damaged. And the story is really how each of them learns by going through a murder mystery about a potter who was killed, a Native American potter. And as they investigate it, she tells him things about their belief systems. And she starts to see that the only thing this guy has left in his life after doing an altruistic act in an arrest where he chose not to shoot a man. Wow. And that man then came back and got revenge on him um, and destroyed his life. Wow. It's about her seeing his dignity and his morality that he won't quit being a good cop. Yeah. No matter how bad that thing was, the thing in him is this, it's the one thing he clings to is his decency. Wow. And he sees in her that this love for her people, this love for her land, this uh, unrelenting need to feel like she's serving them well enough impresses him and it's those two people learning from each other in the story that drives me to want to make it wow that sounds like a really yeah, fascinating project yeah. i'm just uh, like envisioning <laughs> all of that right now and i'm just like wow whenever you guys are ready to make that yeah i want to yes. let, let yeah. us know because so that sounds awesome seriously and that's what i call a life script willie yeah you know it's the thing that comes out of your soul and um it doesn't make sense in yeah. terms of commercial but well, it makes sense it. just in terms of story and desire and i think just listening to that small bit of what you explained i don't see why it wouldn't be getting made honestly um well why do you think it's holding you back well i think again it's like um i've exposed it several places i keep pushing keep trying different um ways we call it framing devices which Mm -hmm. is what is it that i need to say to help people see what's in there Mm. and then there's there's this just the reality of so many opportunities even more now with netflix and yeah the and and so stars are even getting more um rare um, and it takes a star for the film like this to get made right right it's a it's a hopefully i'd like to see it as an oscar valuable piece okay um but it takes finding somebody who this fits their nature and their need absolutely to express themselves in this way with this kind of character Hmm. and if i can find that person and every night I'll work a year on naming. I'm not going to name who I'm, but I, I, right. I have approached several major, major stars and I have a little bit of credibility, not super credible. Um, and you do the dance and you try yeah. and get through their agent or you try and get through their manager or you try and find a way that you can get through a casting agent that knows them because I can't make offers because mm-hmm. I don't have the backing. At the same time, I'm looking for financing which is here's the stars I would like to get. If you'll finance it, we'll go after them. Right. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I'm looking for a production company that would. So you, it's a multi chess game trying to figure out which pieces. And every now and again, I just say, oh, God, I'm so exhausted. Yeah. And then yeah. I sit down and I do a polish on it. Um, and I get vibrations as I'm doing it. And then you start again because you yeah. go out. And it, the, the vibes are real. The vibes are there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you, you charge your batteries up. Yeah. You know, and that's where the story midwives come in. You give it back to your story midwives and you say, am I fucking kidding myself? Is this right. a waste yeah, of time? Exactly. Am I going to burn out? Uh, am I, are people going to look at this and say, no, you're, you're crazy? Or are they going to see something in it? And when people charge my battery up, mm. I'm able to go back out and take the punches on the nose. And yeah. I value them 
because I want to do the movie. Yeah. yeah. And as I said to you earlier, I see a movie as making solve a million problems you end up with a movie at the end of right right <laughs> yeah right. and i'll stand on the set yeah. and say, give me more problems i've got to yeah. get through this <laughs> yeah exactly you know so For- with like your because your your body of work is just so incredible but going way back prior to you of today what got you started in film like what was that thing where you're just like this is what i want to do i well my folks my mom and my dad uh, when I was very little, we're making short films that were mm-hmm. getting into the movie theaters. And, um, and this is in the UK. This is in the UK. Okay. Uh, my mother um, had been an extra in films in the 1930s as a child. Wow. And my father was an identical twin, and they had their first projector when they were six years old. And the two twins both became cameramen. Wow. wow. Um, and so... Uh, I'm I'm in one of the desperate for attention like any kid I got to ride an alligator in one of my parents films on people that kept strange pets wow That's and cool. I was four years old and this thing was called Peter it was about seven feet long <laughs> it was a female I got to brush its teeth I got to light a cigarette oh so it was a real alligator it's a real, yeah. it's a real oh, alligator wow. and um, wow the writing cool. oh hence the book I didn't yeah, get you know the they, went, they also did a section on stick insects which I didn't write yeah and what was fascinating was this woman kept this alligator in an apartment in an area <laughs> called Chelsea and she had wow. a couple of um, crocodiles as well in tanks in the wall. What, what? the heck? This is like James Bond woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying. Evil layer ties. And I right? found an article about her heck? many, many years uh, uh, later that, you know, the people of the Riparian Society or something knew all about her. And she kept me away from the crocodiles. She stood uh, between me and the crocodile mm. tank. And I remember her body language was, this fucking thing is dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At yeah. four years old, you go, yeah. but the alligator, no, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, just sit on top of it. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah. But but seeing my father go out with the camera and seeing the way crowds of people look to cameras and going to a movie theater or going with them to um, Soho, which is Water Street, where the distributors were, I'm four years old and I don't think they can afford babysitters because mm. they take me along. Yeah. So I'm meeting these people who are making the deals with my parents and watching our movie on the big screen there. And I just yearned like Mickey Mouse and the source of apprentice. I wanted to w- be able to wave that magic wand. Yeah. And I knew all my life that would be the most amazing thing to be part of Yeah. and uh, yearned to be part of it and loved cameras, loved reflections, loved glass, loved fluidity. Never thought I was ever going to be where I ended up. Um, left school at 15 uh, after my mother died the the world went into chaos my mm-hmm. father was not a strong uh, ally uh, he went through a series of very difficult relationships with women mm-hmm. ended up with a very destructive person so when I was in my early teens this yearning to be creative uh, my father and my stepmother who was alcoholic and would take drugs and would end up shrieking at our, our, our oh, kids wow. um was uh, to get over my fucking self, to go get a real yeah. job, to yeah. go. And my father sent me to try and get a job in a, an electric blanket, black blanket factory. And and the wow. guy, I think, just saw I was going to electrocute his customers. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, um, but what it also did was it the torture of thinking I had something special and not having any support for it yeah. uh, made me very aware and wanting to support other people's creativity because wow. they know how vulnerable it is. Yeah. And um, 
ended up I did photograph the Rolling Stones when I was 17 talked the BBC into sending me in nice. I had a couple of other uh, magazine articles and, and but at 19 I left England thinking I was a washed up failure literally I was a dead man and I was running away at 19 and, at 19 wow. and then got to a country where I was young yeah. because there were people still coming out of college at 25 and I had four years experience yeah and I was put in charge of them at a film company Wow. which was bizarre yeah yeah no way right <laughs> just like telling your elders essentially like hey this is and, what it's got to be and here was a culture of young people making movies and we swapped notes and we talked with each other and we shared our dreams and i put together a house uh where i could rent rooms out to other filmmakers and a, and a woman who had interviewed me about a year and a half ago said you created a home Mm. and I go oh my god yes mm -hmm. had not realized that that's what I'd done and, and, and my father had abandoned me so with his debts and with all kinds of issues yeah. and I realized that I had created another kind of home well, and, th and, that, and that became where people shared ideas and shared encouragement through, uh, if you don't mind me asking throughout the years um, after leaving the UK were you ever able to reconnect with your father was there yes, moments like that yes but never never uh, with the trust and hope that I would love to have done. Mm -hmm. uh, one always looks up to your elders yeah. as giants. I think nature makes our yeah. parents look like giants to us so that when they give us instructions, we behave, right. which is how we survive. Yeah. So there's no one bigger in your life than a parent. And um, I still tear myself up about loving the guy and feeling absolutely betrayed. Yeah. And um, feel that vulnerability. And I try and... Um, try and compartmentalize it and put it in places that are healthy mm -hmm. uh, I try and be an ally to my other sister and brother and their families I love my own family deeply yeah. um, and the interesting thing is despite having that terrible uh, and we were put in foster homes I've been in an orphanage I know what it feels like because wow. they tried to get my stepmother tried to get rid of this yeah. Yeah. Wow. it was uh, um, it it, uh, it is amazing our, our three the siblings or families are wonderful, stable. Yeah. You know, we overcome our difficulties in our relationships and keep going. So the that damage that it did was not reflected there. But That's its good. damage is reflected in sometimes in my stories. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes there are characters in my stories that portray the negative side of the things I experienced. And mm -hmm. I get to see them come through in the characters. And uh, I think that helps. It's, right. uh, that's why I say write dangerously, write to the things that come out of your soul. Yeah. Because I think that those things create um, energies that need to be told. Right. I, right. I, I think personally, too, uh, creativity is involved a lot with vulnerability, you know, yeah. and you being and allowing yourself to go to these places. They, they tell you that with acting a lot. But I think, you know, when I started writing, I, I feel like I started going into those places a lot more. And, and exploring them a lot more to the sense of w why did this happen to me? Why it was out of my control, but why and how, you know, and and, 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 and really trying to observe that and really trying to take away the other person's actions towards me. Right. Whether I was a kid or, you know, uh, throughout my life, you know, and and even now, you know, I'm 22, but I'm able to still tap into the past at any moment I can or I want to and and take back moments that may have seemed simplistic but were actually very complex or had more meaning involved behind them that you don't think about in the moment cuz you're still very um kiddish you know you're, or yeah. you're or you're thinking in that way is still very kiddish 
But once you develop this like um, you this like I guess adult mindset, you know, when you really become an adult, you start to see the world a lot differently, you know, and you start realizing like just as much as you are conscious of things, there's so much unconscious things that you don't even you you pick up on it. But you're not yeah, like. Well, we have we have antennas for people. We can walk in a room and read a room very quickly. Yeah. If, if, if there are people that don't, there are high monitors and low monitors. Yeah. And and some people are gifted with a very complex empathy system, and that's that's why you end up being a, an actor because you're you're reading a lot more into human beings. And there's some people that are very pragmatic, down to earth, and they can be great engineers. You want them to build your airplanes. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. Not the, not the dreamers. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and, and, that, and that process of, uh, I, I also, I really salute actors. I, I'm a coward. I send my script out to audition. Mm. I hide behind the camera yeah. and send you a couple of notes. Uh, they stand up there stripped naked. Yeah. And they trust me to edit them with sanity and with uh, a, a purpose. Um, so I, I have an immense admiration for actors and I'm also very um, determined never to cast a role uh, without seeing the performance that lights my soul. And that mm. sounds really corny, but yeah. if you put someone into a role and the, and the words don't come out of their mouths as originating from their psyche, mm. right. it's not going to work for an audience. Right. And um, there's a magic that is absolutely amazing when the actor says it right it fires your mirror neurons mm. and these are the things that are in us that our empathy systems are designed to feel and learn from others by watching them across a room mm -hmm. and if an actor isn't able to fire your mirror neurons isn't able to get those instinctual reactions we call it bad acting mm. yeah i mean i've i've i 100% agree with what you're saying first of all as an actor myself i there is a certain drop-in quality that you must have as an actor. And that's really what you'll learn, whether you go to classes or you take coaching sessions. They'll teach you that drop-in quality where you're reading the script and then you're living that character. You know, And when you're living that character is like, I, Luigi is gone, now I am Edward or John or whoever. But you drop into that world knowing that every piece of dialogue is an initial thought that I had and now I'm yeah. speaking it into existence based on this character. And that's absolutely true because when you see that happen in film and you see, you, you forget about the actor, you forget their name, you forget everything, you'll watch them for that role and you're like, wow, that he killed that. It was like there was no, there was no sense of him. It was just the, the role itself. Yeah. The story was being played out and it was just, he cemented himself into that world. Mm -hmm. And I think that that takes that performance from that basis of, of normality to extreme like like that is the 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 what's the word of highest quality yeah right and and, it, and it's hard to get to those points because i feel like as in actors especially here in los angeles you're always wanting that script that is going to take me to the next level right oh i want that role that is just i read it and i just know wow people are going to be fascinated by this right. but sometimes you get a role that maybe you're not thinking that way about it and then you actually do the research and you do the homework and you do the, the, the detective work on the script and it ends up being that same role that you you wanted you know, well, because the, you made it happen. The, the, the truth is that when I'm looking at casting someone like against Morgan Freeman or against Robin Wright, I'm worrying that I can't find somebody who is as magical as they are yeah. because mm -hmm. the quality of their performance is metered then by what they're being given by the other actor. Right. So I, I fight very constructively um, to find the actors or to encourage the actors to find the place so that they're giving me the work at the level of the actor that's the star. Yeah. Um, 
and I've, I'll, I've even hired in, in, in some cases like stage directors to play butlers <laughs> because I knew they would be more able than if I hired an extra yeah right and an extra is not necessarily ever able to be something more than a functionary because it may not be in their world to have those kind of eloquences or they may be beyond my affording I've also begged major actors to play smaller roles um, because that uh, you know you're getting the chemistry and again if you appreciate the work and you gen it's a gen genuine desire to, to stitch that caliber into the tapestry so the threads never get weak mm -hmm. they can sense that yeah so they know they're not being abused yeah. they know that they're being appreciated that's uh, why I like Tropic Thunder so much because yeah. it's seeing like like for example you mentioned large people playing small roles Tom Cruise yeah. playing that gentleman yeah. at the end is no the agent uh, yeah, yeah, agent. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's just hilarious to me because it's like look you're not gonna be a massive part of this movie but your role is so important yeah. and so iconic that it's as if you were there the entire time and we had no idea and I think that if, if more major actors decided to just get in where they fit in and really enjoy it and have fun with it you can really unlock so much more opportunities that way personally speaking well the, but, the, the the biggest one i ever did was um uh there was some discussion about possibly having another actor uh who was a comedian play king richard at the end of robin hood yeah and i was so concerned because for me the film was a very heartfelt and purposeful film it had a statement it should be fun it should right. be a romp it should be energetic yeah. But it was not Monty Python. Right, right. And, <laughs> um, and so I set out uh, on a quest to get Sean Connery. Why? And I phoned up um, Mike Marcus, Mike, Mike, my brain is dead. Um, the head of CAA, mm -hmm. Michael Eisner. That's not his name either. Um, <laughs> so, so it's been so long ago now. Um, anyway, I ended up debating. I had one page of script. I w desperately wanted to give it to Sean. Uh, I knew that we were out of budget. There was no money to pay him. Yeah. And I knew we couldn't give him a credit. Because mm. if you put him on the names at the beginning, the whole movie, everybody said, where's Sean Connery? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I managed to persuade um, the agency to take it seriously. And we actually ended up getting him. Wow. And, wow. Um, I, I swore blind to the people that represented him. This would be a piece of film history if he yeah. did this. Wow. And it was. And it was. Yeah. And it was like a huge win for Warner Brothers as well. Like it would became one of their biggest grossing movies at the yeah, time. It so. definitely did. Sean yeah. Connery. Well, yeah, but that it. but that shows a testament of your own word. You yeah, know, because exactly. your word was meant like it was worth a million dollars. It was right? passion. It was for and me, it was, it was a yeah. passion to protect material. So the purpose of why it was there was was put on the screen. Yeah. Um and my purpose was to I can't inspire people if it's all goofy. Yeah, 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 and therefore it was to protect the sense that these people's morality was being valued, in amongst all the jokes and the fun, right? Um, yeah. But never lost that ground game of there's a villain and this guy's sacrificing everything mm -hmm. to protect the baby that's born and its future for of his peasants, um, and that that uh, was what gave me the courage to phone up, yeah, you know, and, and fight for it. 
That's awesome. So, I, 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 sorry, I, I just want to, I want to turn to your book because I know we, we talked about this. And yep. so he, he, Penn brought us a copy of his book, which is amazing. It's called Writing the Alligator yep. Strategies for a Career in Screenwriting and Not Getting Eaten. Mm-hmm. Right. And on the cover is actually the picture of you writing that alligator yep. that you told us about. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm just curious to know out of the whole book, what is the one chapter in your mind that is a must read? I think, um, well, it, it there's a chapter that I try to write that was called uh, Yes, But Can I Write, which is designed to unblock you or to convince you that you have the right to write no matter who you are, no matter what your culture is, no matter what your fears are. Um, and it's the chapter that uh, I really wanted to inspire people to be able to find their own style of writing. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's like saying to somebody... Um, I don't know what's going to be created in the future, but I'm damn well going to fight for your right to create it. Yeah, As yeah. opposed to saying, yeah. these are the only things that can be created, and you better make one of those. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that chapter was designed uh, from the heart to try and get people to take the risk. And I don't say write a screenplay. I say, mm. take a couple of notes, mm. baby steps. Yeah. yeah. Because if you overwhelm yourself, you can't go forward. Right. And so the key is, build up your own uh, creative um, mosaic from the pieces and the ideas that come to you and then sort them out into what feels right. And you'll start the process of writing without it saying, on page one, I have this whole obstacle of 120 pages and I don't know what I'm going to do. There's bizarrely wonderful things. Having a shower can actually stimulate your creativity in ways that are absolutely recorded and i have a pen that's a space pen that writes underwater oh. and i have waterproof notepaper in See, my I'm, shower i'm trying to do that that's cool and <laughs> i know i've sometimes when i've had a problem go take a shower yeah. um and it, it, you know having faith that the answers will come i can do that now although i'm terrified when you reach a hole in your story you go, oh my god the whole thing's screwed yeah, yeah. i'm gonna die this is never gonna happen i never get yeah. to the end but i've learned now to go sleep on it yeah. Mm-hmm. And usually sometimes something good happens. Um, I, I've also struggled uh, feeling like I'm a complete asshole. And I had two weeks in one of my scripts where I could not get through one scene mm. that was the linchpin scene. Mm. And doing that for two weeks, you think you're freaking insane. And what, yeah. a, what a con man you were of taking the, <laughs> taking the job. And, yeah, yeah. You know? And then finally it comes. Yeah. Uh, sometimes it comes when you stop beating yourself up. And um, sometimes you just need to go and talk to somebody else about what it is and sharing it can make it so possible to go forward. I, I, I do this with my son a lot. Um, he also has a wonderful writing facility. His language is very cool. His imagination is lovely. I think writing's in the genes. Yeah. Um, and he's writing on his third Netflix sci-fi series at the moment. But I will take him something to get his story midwifing on. And I was blocked on one of my scripts. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I, and I said, well, I want this character to do that and do that. And he said, well, then write it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I go, okay. Like, All right. <laughs> and sometimes just writing it, you overanalyze. Weirdly, stories fit together if you just push them together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's bizarre, but we're, we're, we're a human animal that, that lives stories. Just yeah. worry about plot holes later. Yeah, and, and also frequently just putting things together that plot holes don't exist. Mm. They were your desire to have more information than you needed to push the story through. Yes, yeah. yes. I've, I, I have even removed like 
10 pages of a script yep. and suddenly you'll see that whole story come together and you're yep. like, now there is a flow. Now there is, when you read those words, they're coming off the paper and yep. you are visualizing what's the story, you know? And, and it's hard to get to that point because writing is, is one of those things where you have to relook and, and retouch and your con it's, it's like a living document. Well, that's why I celebrate you know? getting to the end of your script, the first draft. And uh, I once heard it called the vomit draft, which I think is just disgusting. <laughs> but it's just get it out. Yeah. Stop criticizing. Don't argue. Just get it out. Just if you write out. 10 pages of stuff that you might not use, don't argue because nothing is wasted. Mm. That process is what you needed to do to get to that next thing. Yeah. The joy is, and there's a chapter on it, when you get to the end, editing's great. Now you're just taking shit out. Yeah. That's easy. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a three-step process to editing. Ask yourself, can you get into the scene later? Can you get out of the scene earlier? That's mm. the first question. Okay. Because you are, you're already speeding up, and it makes it simple when you look at it in these forms. The next one is question only your dialogues. Don't look at the script. Look at the dialogues. Got and it. you'll see that frequently you've written a lot of language in order to get to the point. Sometimes you'll write the point and then get a right language to support the point. Yeah. Well, then you're looking at just the language. You go, well, I don't need all that afterward. It doesn't do anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. So now you pop it off. And I say, those words are like sandbags holding the hot air balloon down. <laughs> yeah. and, and the joy of it is, you can't lose any of this shit. You read it tomorrow and it doesn't feel right, you put it back in. Yeah. We're not having to type the whole screenplay like the old days when you know, make a change and the poor person had to type everything. Yeah. You know, here we've got this lovely thing, we can just nip it out, look at it and decide again. And always give it a day. Because that, that refreshes the mind. Sometimes I say, take your script, change the font. Yeah, because the font really. makes you feel like it's fresh again mm -hmm. and your eye is seeing it differently because we get so familiar when we read over and over and over again yeah. that we don't see it the way the first reader sees it right. and changing the font makes you look at it and you go oh, oh my god the worst thing though is having a read and realizing you've got way too many words yeah. <laughs> and you have actors i did that with sean penn and uh, um robin wright and yeah. um i i I had a couple of other wonderful actors and they're reading my Houdini script and I'm just going, oh God, Penn, there's so many fucking words. <laughs> so many fucking words. Oh, this is miserable. I couldn't wait to cut it down after hearing it spoken. Yeah. Because when you read it, it's zapping through your head. Yeah. But when you hear it spoken, it's slow motion. Yeah. Because people are feeling out the words and they're giving them texture. And yeah. Da -da -da. So then you come back to every word you can get off the page is a word that frees the script up. So exactly what you're saying. But you can't do that while you're writing. No. You're, it's a criminal punishment. It should be a, a, an artistic sin to, mm. to uh, criticize yourself while you're writing. Mm. And we, we have this thing I call the golem that's sitting there nagging. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is a crappy thing. Yeah. This is a waste of your life. Yeah. This is the worst writing that's ever been done in mankind's history. You gotta forget that because it's trying to help you by saving you from the energy you don't need to use according to your survival instinct. Yeah. Right. But then when you look at what you wrote the next day, you go, holy cross, if someone put a gun to my head, I don't think I'd get those words. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you get this weird combination of things, which I love sharing mm -hmm. because I want people to know how absurd it is. Yeah. If I'm yeah. perfect, then I'm just an intimidating barrier to you creating because you're going to just do it the way I actually do it. Right. Yeah. And I say this, like, I use this terminology calling it the ship in the dock. You look at some ship, it's unloading its cargo, it looks prosperous and wonderful, and you mm. go, oh, I could never do that. 
but you only start with one rivet man yeah and you know you don't know if it sank on the way if they had a mutiny on board <laughs> if they you know the yeah. owner switched halfway through and yeah. you know so the key thing is that it is absurd it is going to be mistakes writing is something about discovery and process and trusting that you will get there not that you have to be there yeah and then you someone will read it and the worst and the best is the note that somebody says to you had you thought of this mm. and you you smile with an irony that is exquisite and painful because you go oh he's so fucking right <laughs> that is such a good idea yeah i gotta go put it in yeah that's a great idea mm. whereas some people will criticize you and they have no justification for it they've never done it they've never written they don't know and those are opinions yeah and if you get three opinions on one thing then it's a fact and you have to fix it yeah mm. but in a single opinion no ignore <laughs> it unless it appeals to you to fix it exactly I, well so I, three I, opinions I, is a fact i like that I, well yeah i think if three people tell you the same thing like hey maybe you should like, work, must change true. this <laughs> scene or like that character isn't working in your yeah. story like if enough people tell you you're probably gonna go back and be like okay. there's like a balance between taking advice and kind of just like mm, okay like, you, you get that with studio notes yeah um and studios will t say some of the stupidest things out of a sheer lack of attention mm -hmm. you know we we watched uh, testing movies with studio executives and there's a sequence where the hero gets beaten up mm. and he's beaten with a pulp and you ask the test cards what was the scene you liked least was where the hero's beaten up yeah and so then they say well we should take that out not knowing that the dimension of the hero's heroism is his ability to come back from how much he's beaten up yeah. right. and how much fear that the villain has installed in him right. by doing that mm. and therefore when he does create a comeback the relief of that is fantastic yeah, yeah. so again you, this this is just basic human mechanics um and it's joseph campbell in and it's you know but the studio system will look at the the diagram and not what is the purpose of a story mm. and um i'm always stunned how little studios right now are using testing algorithms to take successful movies and to see and predict what a script is going to do yeah. but they never take a human being and say okay what are the dimensional purposes of a story right and i believe the dimensional purposes of a story are to teach us to overcome obstacles by watching others struggle yeah and that means that if your character doesn't have a floor if he doesn't have weaknesses if he or she doesn't have obstacles and things we have nothing to learn from mm -hmm. our mirror neurons are not lighting up because there is no difficulties yeah. right and right. what we're really doing is learning the strategies how does cinderella overcome the two evil stepsisters you know we all root for cinderella we don't know why we root for her. why are we rooting for cinderella to marry the prince right well it's because her genes will succeed in a better environment yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they really now, will but but you know it's like if you don't look at it both as there's a, a genuine gift when you write to writing characters that are flawed and have difficulties um, because you're teaching. Yeah. And, and, and that, um, I also simplify that in saying that in a, in a script for a feature film, that floor should probably be just one major obstacle that really fucked them up. Yeah. yeah. And in a, in a feature film, um, if you take all the white space out and pu push all the words together, you've probably got 50 pages, 40 pages of text. Yeah. Well, that's not a lot to have a lot of complexity, mm -hmm. which should really help people write. So if you know that your character, um, his father died in a fire, 
and he's always panicked when he gets around fires and this and the big thing is he has to go rescue someone in a fire mm-hmm. it's really simple yeah. he's got to overcome that fear in order to be able to succeed right yeah. and how does he do it well his dad taught him one thing which is that if you count to 10 you can take anything because you start counting again mm. and that's actually I actually learned that from a fireman <laughs> um and so the audience is now counting the 10 with the guy yeah. to see how far into the fire he can get yeah and and but he but they know the fear is that he will collapse and not be able to do it yeah. and so you've vested with the character floor all the energy of an adventure because of the character floor not because he's going into a fire yeah you've built up the tension of that moment i think yeah. right and and throughout that whole story you've been leading us through this journey and then you showed us elements of this guy's past or maybe his fear component and then when you'd launch him into finally solving and having a, a conclusive um, decision that he makes to where it's supporting him as a character growing, yeah. I think that, that that is always very satisfactory as an audience member to watch that. And I completely agree. You have to take that character to the lowest depth before you can bring him to the highest altar. Right. You know, Because if, you're, if you start up here and then you go down, that also kind of works. But I think a lot of more people like that underdog redemption kind of arc where it's like, they see themselves in that, like, oh wow, look, well, that it, guy. It works, you know. But but this um, again, this is because I've been at this a long time, and I was influenced by a guy called Marshall McLuhan, mm-hmm. who was the guru of uh, communications in the '60s and '70s. And I ended up working at a small film company that made a movie with this guy. Mm. And he talked about why does an audience watch a movie and look at their faces? They're in a trance, mm. and what's going on in that trance? And if you see that their faces are moving with the characters on the screens. What's going on is that they're actually mimicking the expressions because that's our empathy system. Wow. They've now discovered that when you're watching me, without you being conscious of it, you're actually microscopically mirroring my images. Yeah. And um, if you Botox somebody, they don't they don't receive yeah. as much. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're so so, <laughs> so we we now know what the mirror neurons are being fired by. Yeah. Even if you read a, a book, your mirror neurons fire off. So now you're looking at this process of uh, educating through these mimicries. Um, And if you're not uh, uh, giving somebody something to struggle with, you're not going to get that positioning. The second thing was um, Joseph Campbell, who was the guru of communications in legends and in parables and in myths Mm -hmm. that that, uh, consulted with George Lucas when he wrote Star Wars. His thing was that every story is the same. He called it the hero with a thousand faces, but he found that essentially the same story steps happen in every culture, in every religious story and everything, because that's one thing with mankind. So then you go, well, he said there's the thing called the belly of the beast, which is the character must fail. He must mythologically die and then be reborn, or she must be mythologically die and be reborn at this failing point, which is always the end of the act Mm -hmm. of the second act. And then they have to struggle to find new knowledge to become the new person that can succeed, which mirrors two things that I know of. One is um, dreams. People say, what is the purpose of a dream? Well, the, the theory is still imprecise, but essentially what it does is it takes the conflicts of the day and through the process of dreaming elasticized stories, we reintegrate ourselves into a more successful version of our persona for the to s- struggle the next day. Mm. The other thing... I ran into a guy who was um, uh, Paul, so Dr. Paul Sachs. He's a professor, and he studied oxytocin, which is the trust chemical, wrote a book on it. But what he was doing with his students was taking blood samples before and after showing a movie with or without a three-act structure. 
and he found mm-hmm. the oxytocin and cortisol levels shot up in the, in a short in a short film if there was a three act structure, which meant that three act structures are a biological norm. Yeah, mm-hmm. in other words, we're designed to respond. And then you think, well, just relax and write it because I believe if you relax and write it, pretty much you're going to end up with a three act structure. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's a biologic. Right. You know? Yeah, I think beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, yeah, you, you <laughs> yeah. learn it. It's like a yeah. ba- the basics of writing when when you take those classes in for like third, fourth grade. They're like right. beginning, middle, and then, and then you try to break it up into that. Yeah. I think, mm-hmm. I think with screenwriting, it it becomes a little di- more difficult than because you do want to split it up into three acts, um, but at the same time, it's like you want to cram so much story. Well, we into we, this, t- you we know? sometimes overwhelm ourselves yeah, trying yeah, to exactly. put too much in. Yeah, um, you know, keeping it simple. Uh, simplify and win is one of my um, things um, and also no repetitions mm-hmm. I really try and use some but I will never say those things to myself while I'm writing yeah I will lose those as my evaluative processes yeah um, no dead time mm-hmm. that's another one don't don't you know if you don't need somebody to walk up to a door knock on it open the door screw it you yeah. know can you cut from the end of a scene that uh, you know George are we going out for dinner uh, and George doesn't answer. The next thing is a steak knife comes down in the middle of the steak, and saying, "God, this is freaking good. Yeah. Yeah, Much yeah, better yeah. than yeah. Let's go to the steakhouse, and right. then you see them drive this. You know, so yeah, yeah. Um, it's, just get to the chase. Get, get to yeah. I love that. I and think, now, yeah, go ahead. I I I just I magnificent writer, magnificent producer. But I'm also oh, oh, interested. way too much flattery. There's some people I really think. No. Are good. <laughs> like, we all have haters out there. But oh no, I, I think David know. Lean, or I think you know, <laughs> you know, I, James Mangold. Uh, you know, it's like right? some, oh man. No, yeah. I, I just wanted to pivot to your photography because yeah. I'm I'm mesmerized by the images that I'm seeing right now. Oh, and photographer as well. Exactly. Oh, oh my god, this I, man is everything. Everything. Multifaceted. Multifaceted. <laughs> I just want to just a creative with a camera. You just want to mm. what? I just want to cast spells with a camera. That's a good way of putting that it because really I'm literally mesmerized and just looking at like some of the images, you're not like a, a conventional photographer. Like everything I'm seeing is kind of like kaleidoscopish in a way where I'm, I'm just kind of tripping out and forming my own. Is it, is it mental is it, conclusions? No one has ever pulled this on me because my stuff isn't really out there. <laughs> Hey, we dig deep here. Yeah. He's we like, dig. he's like, nobody was supposed to know I was a photographer. He's like, that's my I, secret I hobby. I, I, I don't push it. I do sell a few things to a friend who's a designer to individual collectors, but they're like six foot pieces. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm not into marketing because it's my, it's my discovery therapy. Mm. I'm doing things in photography I've never seen a human being do. Yeah, and, literally. And uh, it's because of letting go of my prejudices about what the rules were. Yeah. And I'm following that, what I'm saying about not writing to people's prescriptions, but trying to discover a language. Mm-hmm. And um, I gave up photography. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I yearned to do it. And I just felt like I'd failed. N- nature photography. I just everything mm-hmm. I took was like you know, literal. And it was like a version of what I'd seen other people do. Mm-hmm. And, and I... And I Truly, I I have over a hundred antique cameras. Wow. I love them. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I I got just miserable and stopped doing it and just st- stayed with the filmmaking and watched my daughter who was fourteen using my cameras, mm-hmm. taking pictures with no discipline, with no one teaching her what to do, and they were images that were out of focus with strange compositions and yeah. they were lyrical and poetic, and they stopped your eye and made you think. 
And it made me go, wow, I have not. And I didn't know what this was. Yeah. And then my family bought me the camera I bought for my son because they knew I wouldn't buy him a bum camera. Yeah. yeah. And we were in Hawaii and I decided, okay, I'm going to go. And I got a grant when I was 25 to film water reflections. Mm. That's how crazy I am. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and um, so I decided to go out at sunset and photograph the waves. But I waited out with this camera and I actually shot the waves as they were going out yeah. instead of coming in. Mm. And they've got all these wonderful rivulets and there's the sun bouncing off them. And it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. And I didn't know what I was shooting. I had no way of looking at yeah. it. And then I started photographing the koi in my koi pond and shaking the camera yeah. as I should and, and hitting the camera yeah. as I was taking the images really? and seeing what happened. And I learned that I had to examine every individual photo because they were not by the rules. They were each one was a set of discoveries and about one in 10, one in 15 was awesome, mm. but it didn't compose like anything I'd ever seen. Yeah. It's out of focus, but it's a koi right. and it's got the water reflections on the surface that are, that are dazzling. And because they're moving and I'm shooting like a two second exposure, which is insane you get these incredible runs of light. Yeah. And so um, I've now been on a 12-year journey uh, of making images that are expressive and emotional as opposed to reportage. Wow. Mm -hmm. And um, I found this word, um, which really is a, it's a very helpful word. It's qualia. Qualia. Uh, qualia. Mm -hmm. And I'm now trying to define what I do, and I'm using the term qualia, which is, Qualia is a philosophical term for a thing that cannot be described in words. Mm. So let's make a word for it. <laughs> I, like yeah. I, I love like it. Qualia. Like it, it, shows, That's very uh, qualia. it shows a more in-depth, I think, look at yourself. Are you very introspective with your own journey? Uh, yeah. Yeah. You seem like it. You seem like it. I, you I, seem like you take time to think about what you're doing and, and put intention behind your things before you just go out and do something. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I, I, will, I, I can be spontaneous. And that's a, mm -hmm. again, that's something I want to share because I want to encourage um, us introspective types sometimes overanalyze. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what, what you're sometimes stunned by is this fear that you're not going to be good enough. Mm. This is what I call imposter syndrome, which yes. is, you know, a, a well-known uh, quality of creative people. Yes. Um, but if you put some, if you've written a script and you're on a set or if you're developing your uh, documentary and someone is asking you a question mm -hmm. and you didn't know the answer till they asked the question, you will find you have the answer. Mm. Wow. It's in you because all that processing is unconscious. Right. But you didn't know it was there and you held yourself back. Yeah. No. So yeah. you've got to trust that it's there. Yeah. And, and if it isn't there, if you're not too scared to say, you know, that's a great question. Let's work on the answer. Because it's, it's the fear of being caught as an imposter right. that shuts us up. And I say my errors of omission still burden me to this day where I cowered it out of going to talk to a star that's across a room. Mm. Yeah. Um, or that I didn't send my script out to this place because I just didn't have the courage. Right. And those hurt you for life. Yeah. Whereas the thing when you finally wind up your energy and you take the shot and you get punched in the nose yeah. and you go, yeah, I did it. Survived. I still take pride in doing yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's, I think you're absolutely like, that is the key in my opinion. That if you allow yourself to, to believe that you, first of all, have been put on this earth for a reason, you have purpose behind yourself. So you add value to your own life. Mm -hmm. So everything you do and create has value already added to it because you believe that. That's why nothing is lost. If you yeah. do, if you, if you create, if you, if you copy 
there's nothing gained. Mm. Although sometimes copying, I shouldn't be. See, I don't want to be totally didactic. In no, my, no, in my no. Rules. I, I think I understand. But if you copy something so well that you learn how Leonardo did it, yeah. that's a great copy. Yeah. But if you copy in order to emblem something because you didn't think you were good enough, and therefore copying was a way to avoid taking responsibility, mm. that's not a good copy. Mm. Um, and the, the that this discovery of language is painful. I got to tell you that I feel like a fool often. I'm right now. I'm in the middle of doing some stuff from Hawaii, yeah. um, and I've been doodling on my images, going, oh, "That's fucking ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> awful. People are going to hate this, you know." And 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 there's every once in a while, you you hit an image, you go, oh, "No, no one's going to get that." <sighs> you know? mm-hmm. And I'm stunned, Willie, that you actually found my work and you're actually complimenting it. Yeah. It's, it's, oh <laughs> no, trust me, it is really cool. It's very quality. <laughs> it like if quality you guys have work. a chance to look it up, find it. I'm not going to tell you where to find it. You got to really want to find it. And then once you see it, you're going to be very thankful that you did. Because <laughs> honestly, like I, I was looking at the images and I was like. I don't know, like, how to pivot into this because it's not something I've seen <laughs> I know it's before. like we're talking like, about film and yeah. TV, and you're like, uh, this guy's got this secret. Oh, yeah, hobby. like, we, we, we got to talk about it. Yeah, but yeah. secret identity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we really appreciate you joining us today and oh, thank you. taking the time out to spread knowledge and really help us, whether you know it or not. But at least me personally, I, I'm just a sponge absorbing all of this information and hopefully one day I can be in your position and, and pass the same information along. So thank you for joining us. Did you, did you have anything that you wanted to leave the folks with? Um, Well, you know, I'm on Facebook. I try and answer questions. Okay. People will sometimes want me to read scripts. I can't do it. That's too much of my life. Yeah. If you have a style question on something, I try and respond. Okay. I try and give back. Yeah. And, and, and I also try and learn if people, uh, you know, I'm still learning every day. Yeah. And I'm still struggling every day. I don't want people to think I'm a big success. Right. Because then I'm an obstacle. Mm. I still stumble forward. I have still people that I admire so much. I watched 1917 yeah. this year. Oh, yeah. And I thought, Good oh, film. what an extraordinary, beautiful thing. Yeah. Someone has taken the medium and made something that's a fresh version of what yeah. war uh, movies. And, and yeah. So I, I'm also getting excited with what other people are doing in the medium that the so much storytelling is out there yeah and it's of exquisite quality so i feel like i'm living in the best of times at the moment i can look at any film that's ever made yeah and i'm and i'm watching people take film into the future That's yeah. we were also talking about one other thing which i really want to encourage is mm-hmm. the very first thing i ever did with my film company because i wanted I worked with an educational company that hated children. Yeah. They were an obstacle that they had to sell to, not, not, <laughs> not someone to inspire. Right. So the very first thing we did, and my partner supported this, is we got money from a grant to get nine children to shoot films with our company. And we, were, gave, we gave them the idea of shooting a commercial-length piece selling life. Oh, so wow. nine kids from 11 to 14 got to shoot one commercial for life. We put them all together. It ended up getting nominated for an Oscar. Wow. And... What, what I want people to feel free to do is to take their iPhones and make films with them. It costs you nothing. Yeah. And at, what, no, at no age are you incapable of communicating something of significance and beauty and intelligence. And it, it should just be uh, as freeing as possible to explore. You don't have to get it right. You have to do enough so that you learn. And every once in a while, one will be extraordinary. 
and then you just give them that. Yeah. Oh, Don't show wow. the bad ones. Just show the good one. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> three yeah. options only. Yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. I w- w- before before we let you go, I just wanted to for the listeners. I know that most of our listeners are like suction cups. They're gonna take everything that you're saying and and really you know hone in on it yeah. and, and want to develop their Stick own skills. To that. Um, yeah. But if you guys listen to Penn talk, um, you notice how he's still very critical of his own work. And he's still very critical of what he's doing. And I love that because you never want to stop being that way. Like you like, you know, you're saying, hey, maybe when I'm writing, I'm very free spirited. But when I'm editing or maybe when I'm relooking at my work, I'm saying, "Okay, now let's tap into the rest of the people who are going to be involved in this process. How are they going to benefit or how are they going to understand the story better? You know, and I love that even with your photography, even when you speak about it, you're like, oh, man, maybe people won't understand this, but at least you're still trying you know, at least you're still wanting to put stuff out there and be creative. Like, if you don't mind me, how old are you right now? Uh, I'm not today. Okay. <laughs> that's, no, that's fine. But, I don't know. Because I feel like I'm 15. But you, still, no, so. that's why I yeah, ask. Exactly. Because you have such a young spirit about yourself. Yeah. And you're so, like, energetic and positive, And I'm just like... If if this guy rolled into any place, you just want to, you you you'll feel the energy. You'll feel right. the, you have a, a love inside of you. It's you know? electric. It, it is electric. Yeah, thank you. And I, it is I energizing. So. I value that because that's what I want, and we don't yeah. always feel it in ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. So with that, um, this yeah. has been uh, Clear the Haze, guys. Yes. Season four, episode seven. I want to thank. Penn Densham for coming on the show today. Yes, yes. and if you guys want to check out all the stuff, it's P-E-N space D-E-N-S-H-A-M. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. And then where can people find your book? Uh, well, they can get that off Amazon. Okay. And uh, I say it's like toilet reading. Put it in your toilet, flip through it. Yeah. It's not a rule book. It's a book to inspire. Okay, and writing then, the alligator. Writing the alligator, and then a creative person success manual. Where can people find that? Um, if you go to the writingthealligator.com, that's my website, and you can download a PDF of a chapter from Writing the Alligator, and you can also get the link to my publisher, who gives away the book, uh, the success manual, as a gesture of goodwill to out of the box thinkers. Nice. No, and I love nice. that, and and it, I, ju- I know we keep dragging this out because he's so interesting, people that that whole process of creating that and and was that more that was just you by yourself correct yes. that was just you by yourself how was that compared to writing this book um that was a different thing uh my son as i as i said and i will swap notes about life and we're in we're the same thing that we all have which is the blues now and again yeah. uh, he sent me an email with the writer's blues on a sunday night and i thought oh god what does a dad do i'm on the treadmill in the morning I decided to try and write him a letter of encouragement and I gave myself till six o'clock. Gonna get it out by six o'clock so there's no procrastination. It has to come out. Yeah. And um, I found that I couldn't stop writing about creativity for about five days. And so I just said, I'll just let it come, let it come, don't question. You never know what it's gonna be. And at the end, I put this together and gave it to my uh, publishers and said, "Um, you know, you're you're really a, they, they, Michael Weesey Books is an extraordinary company. It's run by artists as opposed to people who Mm. are didactic. Mm -hmm. They say they will publish books they know they will lose money on because that voice needs to be the community. Wow. Um, They've they've got some of the most amazing and wonderful books on creativity and writing and self-discovery and also the the nuts and bolts of creating a film and how to write and direct. Um, And they also create a community in in their... um, 
in the way that they treat their writers. Mm. You know, some of the other book companies will actually give you formulas and you have to write to fit the formula. And, and, and those are the empty books that I always am very scared of um, because they're prescriptive, they're rule books, and I hate rule books, yeah. although they can be used as a good check mark. Yeah. So um, these guys, um, when I said to them that they have downloadable chapters from every book that's on their website that they don't promote enough in my opinion because that way you can sample the books right i said you know you you are a creative commons so i wanted them to see if they could test drive the idea of promoting more free material so that people would be driven to explore and, and discover what will work for them yeah well and, uh, you got so that they 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 put my my material up on that and it's been a couple of other places uh, Final Draft has some of my things up, and Final Draft gave my book away for a while. Oh, cool! Um, with each with each copy, which I was very proud That's of. That's really yeah. cool. That's a big deal because yeah. we use Final Draft all through college, so yep. oh, we guarantee you would have. They're seen again it. great people. Yeah, uh, I'm going to just give you an ad that I I really firmly believe in. They run a contest every year. Seven thousand people enter us, and and it's uh, the people at Final Draft are, are, are so not bureaucratic yeah they take the winners around hollywood and tour them around um they introduce them to people who can help give them counsel because this opportunity changes their lives yeah. right and they have imposter syndrome frequently whoops this is a mistake <laughs> i shouldn't be here yeah, yeah. and uh, they also introduce them to me every year mm. and i take time to go through that discovery and that option because right now is the time when when you have a hit and i see these things like sine waves right you'll your, your career will be an option to succeed and then it'll go in the trough again then it comes back when you look at it you must hit while you have the top because you can get an, a manager you can get your script read right the people at final draft will fight for you and they they're, they're, it's an amazing company they're very very proactive yeah despite put turning out what is a you know a very um, constructed device which yeah. is yeah, this yeah. writing system the people behind it have deep hearts wow i love that yeah that's i love awesome Final Draft. I, yeah. I, I admire that software so much because it makes the the, the writing process so much yeah. easier yeah it really does. and it just allows you to be creative you yeah. know um but with that uh we don't want to take All any right. more of your time yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you have been a fantastic guest yes, um, yes. the wisdom the can, wisdom that this man has yeah, so much so much if if you decide that you want to be a writer a director producer a photographer a read chef, this book anything it's if, literally if you, gonna help if you're gonna pursue a creative field take the time read this book Listen to this episode again, yes, again, because there's so much knowledge in this, and we're just thankful that you were willing to share it, come on the show, and listen, just you excited. guys, you got so much information for free. You got how to how to do a pitch, <laughs> four steps. You got all kinds of juicy information right? that people just don't know, but yeah. you just got it today. You got the and we thank scoop. you so much for that. Yeah. So with no further ado, yeah, we're gonna get out of here. And you said they can find you on Facebook. Yeah, or they can go to writingthealligator.com, but I hate okay. seeing commercials. No, no, no. no, no. We'll, 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 we'll link it yes, at the bottom, writingthealligator.com. Oh, cool. yeah, exactly. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, season 4, Episode 7. We'll catch you guys on the next one. Adios. Bye.